Good evening, Christ Covenant. It is uh, my pleasure to get to be able to be here with you this evening and bring God's Word to you. Uh, if you have been here over the last couple of weeks, you know that we have uh, started a new series in the book of Matthew. Uh, however, we're pausing for this evening from the book of Matthew and are going to instead be spending our time in the book of Psalms, looking at Psalm 84. And so if you have your Bibles with you now, I want to encourage you to turn there to Psalm 84. And for the discerning ear, I think that you're going to hear a lot of overlap with the book of Matthew. In fact, last week, one of Kyle's main points in his sermon was the immense blessing that we have as believers in being able to have a God that we can call Emmanuel, God with us. And this evening, the thrust of the sermon is going to be around the privilege that believers have in being able to dwell in the presence of the living God. And also in a short little bit of time, which I think is code in the Presbyterian world for in a couple years, we'll probably get to Matthew 5, uh, and we'll, we'll look at the Beatitudes. And this evening, we're going to look at the Beatitudes found in Psalm 84, those blessed are those uh, sayings. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm familiar with the the Beatitudes and the blessed are those, uh, but what does it mean in a concrete way to to be blessed? Perhaps some of you are thinking, well, I think I've heard before that you can substitute the word happy for blessed. But since in our culture the context of happy is typically tied to our situations, I think that's not the best way uh, to go. Instead, I want to recommend to you Ligon Duncan's uh, definition of this concept. And he says that the blessed life, this is one who has the fullest joy and the deepest satisfaction and is living the truest purpose in life. How fantastic is that? Would you like for that to be true of your life? Would you like in 2024 to have the fullest joy and the deepest satisfaction and live out the truest purpose in life? It's my understanding that if we heed the words found in Psalm 84 this evening, we will be able to say that we are living the blessed life. And so originally what I hope to do, there's three Beatitudes found in Psalm 84, And I was hoping to have a three-point sermon, a a beatitude for each uh, point, uh, but there's just too much there. And so what I want to do instead is this evening, I want to look at the first beatitude that's found in the text. Uh, In the verses 1 through 4, we come to the first beatitude that says, Blessed are those who dwell in the presence of the Lord. And this evening, we're going to look at that in three parts. We're going to look at the longing that the psalmist has to dwell in the presence of the Lord. And then we're going to look at the belonging. Who can dwell in the presence of the Lord? And then we're going to look at rejoicing, how we should respond to dwelling in the presence of the Lord. And then perhaps at a later date, we'll look at the remaining uh, Beatitudes. You'll see in verses 5 through 7, we see, Blessed are those whose strength is found in the Lord. And then in verses 8 through 12, blessed are those whose trust is in the Lord. But this evening, again, we will spend our time looking at verses 1 through 4 and the beatitude found in verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in the presence of the Lord. 
We'll look at the longing, the belonging, and the rejoicing. But before we hear from God's word, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and desire to acknowledge to you that we are aware of the immense blessing that is ours to be able to dwell in your presence. Father God, we know that your word tells us where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are also. Lord, we know that as your word is proclaimed, your word never goes out and returns void. And so we are eager to see the work that you do with your word as it's proclaimed this evening from Psalm 84. Father, we ask that even now you would be tilling the the soil of our hearts, that we might receive your word, and that it would take deep root into our hearts and bear great fruit. We pray that this evening would honor and glorify you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Church, I invite you to hear God's word from Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Here ends our reading of God's holy and errant and infallible word. May he add his blessing to it this evening. Well, we all have longings, don't we? we? We have these, you know, just kind of surface level longings. Maybe you're uh, on, a, on a date night and uh, you long for that dessert that's behind the dessert counter. Or perhaps it's your team. You long for them to to win the championship. And then for others of us, we have deeper longings than that, don't we? For some, it's companionship. Perhaps you're here this evening, and you're longing for that significant someone. 
That, that's someone who gets who you are and desires to be around you. Or perhaps you're longing for success in life. You feel like you've been undervalued and underappreciated. And you, you're hoping that if you can just find that job, that career, and make that, that money, and you can have a, a, a family, then people will have to acknowledge you. They'll have to take notice of you. And of course, these things aren't necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want to be noticed. It's not a bad thing to want to be appreciated, is it? But there is a danger that lies in those deeper longings becoming our core longings in life. When, when we think that our fullest joy and our deepest satisfaction and our truest purpose in life is found in those deeper longings, they've become our core longing, that's when we have begun to find ourselves in trouble. And so as you look at verses 1 and 2 with me, you see a man who has a core longing that's holy, totally, and completely focused upon the Lord. His greatest desire... He has anchored his deepest, his fullest joy, deepest satisfaction, and truest purpose in life in the Lord. Notice when he says in the text, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Here we do not see a man who's torn in multiple directions. He's not torn over here by a longing that's grabbed a hold of him deep in his core. And he's not pulled back over here by another longing. But rather his soul, his heart, and his flesh are intertwined together. All focused towards dwelling in the presence of the Lord. And my question this evening is what is your deepest longing in your life? What is it that you're looking for to have the fullest joy and the deepest satisfaction and the truest purpose in your life? For some of you uh, students, I want you to, to think not about just answering this question, and the same is true for the adults, but rather looking to your actions. What are your actions saying are the, the, the deepest desire of your heart? Not just this evening and this morning. I don't want you to just take a super narrow snapshot, but perhaps take the snapshot out for a year's time and think about what has your attitude been in approaching worship on the Lord's Day? Have you had to be dragged out of your bed, maybe force-fed some cereal, and maybe even your neighbors think that you're being kidnapped as they see two adults hauling you out of, you know, holding you by the arms and legs, throwing you in the back seat and, and taking off. Are you being dragged to church or are you coming to church with great joy in your heart? And for the adults in this room, why, why are you here this evening? Are you here this evening because you're looking forward to communing with the Lord? Or are you here because you're, you just need to set the example for your family? Or, or you're trying to prove to the people beside you that you are just as mature in your faith as they are? Or is it that you desire to long to be with 
the living Lord. You see, when we have these these desires of our heart, we must check and see what are they rooted in. Again, this is talking about the the book of Matthew. When, When we look at these deep desires that come, we need to ask ourselves, are we rooting ourselves in the Lord or are we rooting ourselves in other things? Because Augustine says that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And we see the psalmist, he he fully and totally agrees with this. His heart longs to be with the Lord. And I think one of the reasons that he is so focused, so unified, soul, heart, and flesh, and sometimes maybe we aren't. If you're here this evening and you feel like you, you can't really relate to the psalmist, I want you to think back to redemptive history. Because I think that's not lost on the psalmist. For whatever reason, he can't be in Jerusalem right now. Commentators have different reasons why they think that might be, but he can't be in Jerusalem, and so he can't go to the temple. And so he recognizes, he remembers, not having it readily available to him, what kind of blessing it is to be able to dwell in the Lord's house. And so I think the psalmist is well aware of the fact that God created us in the beginning to dwell in his presence. That's why we see Adam and Eve. God is walking with them in the cool of the the garden. But then I think the psalmist is also aware that that blessing was lost in rebellion. And that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Which represented the fact that they were kicked out of God's presence. And as you continue to look through the scripture, you see man moving further and further east further and further out of the presence of God. But God, according to his good will, according to his plan, his rich mercy and love, he ordained for himself a people to belong to him. And so the psalmist, he thinks about Israel, how she was redeemed out of Egypt, out of her slavery to the Egyptians, and brought into the wilderness where God made his covenant with Israel. And he gave them his law, and he gave them the tabernacle where he came and dwelt among them. He dwelt in the midst of their camp. And the psalmist, he knows that even further than that, his people were given the promised land. And there they were given the temple. And there God was dwelling in their midst. And he recognizes what a privilege and blessing it is that fallen sinners can dwell in the presence of the living God. He knows that the angels fell and were never given that opportunity back into the presence of God. And so if you're here this evening and you feel like you have... You are not in one accord with the psalmist. You haven't been longing to be here for the right reasons this evening. I pray that you would reflect on the gospel and reflect on this redemptive history. You've you've probably heard this before, but we're a church that believes that being together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day with his people, singing praises to him and hearing his word is a get-to opportunity, not a have-to obligation first and foremost. We should not see Sunday morning and Sunday evening worship as something that we have to do and something that we have to check off the list. Rather, we should see this as a blessing that we get to take part in. 
So are you seeing Sunday worship as a have-to burden or as a get-to blessing? Makes all the difference in the world. And of course, it's also important that we point out the fact that the object of the psalmist's longing here is none other than the living God. If you look at verse 2, you, you see that the, the text says, my, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And the courts of the Lord, that represents the, the temple. But why is it that he longs for the temple? It's because the presence of the Lord dwells there. That's why further in verse 2, it says that my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. His love and his desire to be in the temple is rooted in the one who dwells there. Just like for the believer, you and I, we should long for heaven because that's where God is. But if God is not there, it's not heaven to the believer. It's about where God is. That's where our, our heart and our soul should long for, for the true living God. We have so many things to be thankful for. Sonny was sharing earlier about our, our rich history in the ARP. It's a blessing to be a part of this denomination. This building, the, the beautiful roof and, and, and everything here, we have such great uh, facilities. We, we talk about even building a new sanctuary that will house not only us, but our children and our children's children. But what happens if 50 years from, from now, for whatever reason, this building's leveled? Natural disaster, hostile government. Should that dampen our longing for worshiping on the Lord's day? Not if it's anchored in the living God. The building, the denomination, those things are great, but it's the living God, the one who the denomination is pointing to, the one uh, that we come to worship in this building. That should be the longing of our hearts. And then as we move on into verses 3 and 4, we start to see the belonging. Who can dwell in the presence of this living God? And it's neat as you look at verse 3, you see the psalmist who, who can't get to Jerusalem, and he's longing after it. He, he is jealous of these insignificant creatures. Notice, he's not, we're not talking about like the king of the jungle. We're, we're talking about birds that, that he's longing for. And not even a majestic bird like an eagle, but sparrows and swallows. What do we know about sparrows? You might be thinking of Matthew 10 that says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? They're insignificant. They're not valuable by the world's standards. And yet, look where they're dwelling. What about the, the swallow? James Montgomery Boyce says that the swallow represents restlessness in Scripture. That you always see the swallow going from here to there, to and fro, never at rest. Where's the swallow here? Building a nest for its young, to have a family. 
you may be here this evening and you may be thinking to yourself that you're of no value, of no worth to be able to stand in the presence of the Lord. You may feel like your life is a hot mess, that you're all over the place, that you're here and you're there, and there's no way you could be in the presence of the Lord until you get your act together. But that's where the good news of the gospel comes into play. When you think of a king and who dwells in his palace, you probably think of nobles and officials and heads of state. But when we think of our king, we we don't have an ordinary king. We just celebrated a month ago the fact that our king humbled himself, taking on flesh and being born not in a palace, but in an animal's feeding trough. And who were the first ones to hear that good news, that a savior was born? Was it not the insignificant ones, the ones who weren't considered to be of any great value, those who were wandering around in the fields, the stinky shepherds? They were the first ones that God let in on the good news. They were the first ones to to realize that in the fullness of time, God had sent his son to be born under the law. So that his righteousness might become their righteousness. He allowed them to be the first ones to to see this good news. of The one who knew no sin but would become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we need to remember this evening. It's not the, the healthy that the Lord came from but the sick. It's not those who are found but the lost that he came for. It's not the proud that he came for, but the humble. Who can dwell in the presence of the Lord? It's those who come to him through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how insignificant you feel, how you feel like you're of no value in this world and your life's not together. In Christ, that's where your value is. And in him, you can have rest. And then, of course, it gets better. So what I love about the gospel, just one little bit of this is is good news, but it just keeps compounding. Not only do we get to dwell in the presence of the Lord, but we have the privilege of serving in the Lord's house. This psalm is written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah are doorkeepers and singers in the house of God. So this means as singers, they're going to be dwelling in the Lord's house, ever singing his praise. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. They see themselves as blessed because they're carrying out the work that God has for them. What an amazing thing. They're well aware of the fact that they could be offering their children up on altars of sacrifice to Molech. But because of God's rich mercy, they're in his house. Not just belonging there, but having the high honor of serving there. And notice, they're not grumbling. (laughs) Why Why am I not a priest? I could offer a sacrifice. 
why don't I get to be the high priest? I can't go into the Holy of Holies? No. I am blessed. I have the fullest joy, the deepest satisfaction in the living out the truest purpose in my life because I'm living out what God has called me to. And so I want to ask you this evening, do you consider yourself blessed to have the fullest joy and the deepest satisfaction and the truest purpose in life because you get to serve in the Lord's house? Some of you are officers in this church. Others of you may be volunteers in this church or ministry leaders and yet others staff in this church. Does that identity cause you to rejoice and see yourself, to consider yourself as blessed? You see, we wrestle still against the flesh and there's this temptation before us to have uh, discontentedness in our spirit, to be full of pride. And we can at times grumble with where we're at. We can lose sight of the great privilege that we have. Officers can think to themselves, why am I not this officer? He's the one who always gets the the spotlight at church. Everybody's always talking about this person. Why am I not him? The staff, they can can think to themselves, why why does it feel like we're a part of the JV team? Or or why why does it feel like we have to work all these hours all the time or could be ministry leaders or volunteers thinking, why don't I get paid for this? I'm working all these hours. They get paid for what they're doing. Why don't I get paid? It's easy for us to lose sight of the great privilege that we have. This evening, I guarantee you, if we could transport over to the target on New Garden, there would be many, many people going up and down the aisles shopping for this upcoming week. People who have no clue about what God has done for his people. People who have no clue about the love and mercy of God. And yet you're not pushing a shopping cart right now. You're here having the privilege of sitting under his proclaimed word because of God's tender mercies towards you. What a privilege you have To not only belong in this house, but to be able to serve the Lord in this house. That you are a worker in his vineyard. And so I pray that you have great joy in this belonging. And not only that, we'll continue to move on here and look at verses 4 and 2. There should be great rejoicing that takes place in the believer's life. Look at verse 4 with me. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then look at verse 2. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Well, I think, again, you've likely heard this before. But a theology that doesn't compel you to sing is not a biblical theology. A theology that doesn't compel you to sing is not a theology worth living for. It's a weak theology. A biblical theology should cause you to feel similar to Jeremiah when in chapter 20, verse 9, he says, If I decide I'm not going to speak of the Lord, 
there was, as it were, this fire in my bones. And I can't contain it. He's saying, I can't help but speak of the Lord. And for the Christian, we shouldn't be able to help but sing with joy to the Lord for all that he has done for us. And this is where I feel like I would really miss it this evening if I didn't take advantage of this moment to brag on what God's doing in this congregation. This is a congregation where God is at work. And God has filled his, his people's heart with sound theology and joy. I'm so thankful for that. I remember four years ago almost to date, January of 2020, my family and I were sitting right over here, right behind the Sheltons, who weren't members of the church. They were just visiting at the time. And my wife and I, we got up to sing. And all of a sudden, we just looked at each other dumbfounded over this beautiful, joyous noise that just washed over us. And we looked at each other and we're like, this is where we need to be. We could tell that God was at work among his people because of the joyous singing uh, that was taking place here. And you may be here this evening and and you may not be singing. I want to encourage you to stop and think about what you're communicating to those in this room about the beauty of Christ and the value of the gospel if it doesn't move you to sing and to sing with joy. And then there may be others in this room who are singing, but not with joy. Again, think of the book of Matthew as we are studying that going on in the coming evenings. We're going to see over and over Matthew taking these great pains to highlight the fact that God's not concerned with our external activity as he is a heart that drives those external activities. He's not interested in in just tithing and fasting and praying for tithing and praying and fasting's sake. No, he wants a heart that's filled with joy, that desires to do these things as thanksgiving to the Lord. He's not concerned with those who are externally not committing the act of adultery or murder. He wants those who who don't have the seed of lust and hatred in their hearts. And he's not looking for us to just mechanically sing to him this evening. He's looking to us to sing to him with joy for what he has done in our lives. And this shouldn't be a hard thing for us to do. For we should be a people that have a a joy that puts the joy of the psalmist to shame. I want you to just imagine uh, with me for a second that the psalmist is here, he's writing this psalm, and the Lord sends an angel to him. And the angel comes to the psalmist and says, I have the power to bring you this day into Jerusalem, into the courts of the Lord. You can't be singing to the living God of Israel. Do you think he takes that offer? Absolutely. I feel confident he takes advantage of that. But suppose with me for a second that the angel says to him, but before you make that decision... 
There's a second thing. This God that you adore, the living God of Israel, who you desire to be in his presence and to sing with joy to, he's willing to dwell in you. So that you never find yourself in this situation where you're apart from the fullness of God's presence. He's willing to dwell in you, to empower you to sing with true joy, and to empower you to live for his glory. Which of the two options do you think the psalmist takes? It's the second one all day. And if he had that much joy in the first option, how much greater would his joy be in your reality that God dwells in his people, that we never find ourselves apart from his presence, that we never find ourselves where God doesn't dwell inside of us to empower us to live for his glory. Our joy should put the psalmist's joy to shame. We need to remember that unlike the psalmist who in the old covenant context has to travel to Jerusalem in order to experience the fullness of God's presence, you and I, aren't. it isn't based on a particular mountain for us, but we worship in spirit and truth because we are now the temple of the Lord's. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I remember last April when Anna Catherine and I were in Israel. We got to see the the stones of the the wailing wall and and ruins of the, the temple. How amazing to think that you and I have the high privilege of being living stones in God's true heavenly temple. And so I think it's imperative for you and for me for us to, again, go back to the redemptive history that the psalmist has on his mind. For us to remember that we were created to be in God's presence, but that was lost in man's rebellion against God. And yet according to his good will, his perfect will and his, his mercy, he ordained for himself a people to dwell again in his presence. We see it starting to come back full circle. But we surpass that of the psalmist and we celebrate and realize that in the fullness of time, God sent his son to tabernacle among us. We have Emmanuel, God with us. And then further, Jesus says to us, it's to your advantage that I go so that I can send my spirit to dwell in you. We see this, that all of redemptive history is working back to placing God's people into the presence of God. And you're living in the already and not yet. The already of God's presence dwelling in you and you being able to experience the fullness of God's presence And the not yet of when we're still awaiting Christ's second coming, when he consummates his kingdom, and we dwell with him face to face and worship him for all of eternity. You see, brothers and sisters, 
A blessed life originates from having the deepest joy and the fullest satisfaction and the truest purpose in life anchored in the desire to dwell with the Lord. And all of us can rejoice this evening and that none of us are too insignificant to dwell in his presence. All who are willing to enter into his presence through Jesus Christ may enter freely. And therefore, you and I, this evening, should be filled with songs of joy as we gather together. But not just songs of joy as we're gathered here together, but as we go out and are scattered. Our lives should be singing songs of joy so that those in our community, they look at us and say they are filled with joy because they dwell in the presence of a living God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what an amazing reality that we find ourselves in this evening. That you would take rebels, enemies of yours, those who were shaking their fist at you and said that they would do it their way. Those who looked at your throne and and didn't behold the beauty of you seated upon your throne, but instead desired to dethrone you. That you would show us mercy and grace, compassion, that you would send your son into this world as our substitute so that we might be adopted as your sons and daughters, brought into your presence, brought, brought home, that we might live with you for all of eternity. Father, may we be a people that are marked with our joy for what you have done for us. You have made us rich. Lord, may we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, which is our spiritual worship this day and forevermore. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.